Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. Amen. How about that children's moment today? How many of you thought the rest of the service was just going to be one after another, somebody getting to knock down the blocks, right? Now you know. Now you know. Well, friends, uh, we are in a, a sermon series right now about three great passages of Scripture. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Michael preached a magnificent sermon on the great commandment to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the passage that uh, Pastor Michael read for us today, which is known as the great Commission, the Great Commission, the mission that Jesus gives to his disciples at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. So these disciples are sent out as missionaries into the world to go and to share what just happened with the ministry, the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus. They are the ones taking this message out into the world. So I have a question for you as we begin this study on Matthew 28. If you think about the word mission or missionary, if you think about the word missionaries, what images or what names come to mind? Missionaries, people that go out into the world to share the good news and to help others. What names, what images come to mind? And I'm even going to ask you, just to think about it. If you're brave enough, though, lean over to the person sitting next to you and say what you're thinking, what name or image. If you're online with us today, think about that as well. If you're listening, though, in a public place, don't shout it out, okay? What names or images come to mind for a missionary? Maybe some of you are are thinking about David Livingston, one of the very first Uh, missionaries in in Western churches that went out into the world. Maybe you're thinking about Mother Teresa that served as a a missionary in Calcutta to those who were sick. Maybe you're thinking about Billy Graham, you know, who's a missionary and preached around the world. Maybe you're thinking about Francis Asbury. And if that name doesn't sound familiar, It's who this church was named after. Francis Asbury was one of the first two bishops in the Methodist Church here in America, sent over by John Wesley from England. And it was Francis Asbury 
who stayed and worked for about 45 years spreading Methodism, spreading Christianity all over uh, the then United States. In fact, it's uh, quoted that Francis Asbury traveled over 130,000 miles over the eastern United States in that 45 years. It's said that when Francis Asbury arrived, there were about 600 Methodists in the United States at that point. When he passed away after 45 years, there were over 200,000 Methodists. That was one in 36 people living at that time in the early days of the United States. One in 36. You know, what's kind of interesting is, is that he was so famous at that time. He had been almost everywhere at that time. You didn't even need an address to get him a letter. All you had to do is write Bishop Francis Asbury, United States, and the letter would get to him. A missionary sent out to the world covering hundreds of thousands of miles. And that has really stayed within Methodism. We still, to this day, have missionaries around the world. Right now, we have missionaries in over 60 countries around the world. So this passage, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is a very important passage of Scripture because it reminds us that the message entrusted to us as a church, as Christians gathered together, is not meant just for us, but it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be given to those around the world. And it's vital that we participate in this challenge, in this commission, this act of sending us out to share the news because God wants to reach all the people that he wants to reach. And God wants to help all the people that he wants to help. And we have to be part of doing that. So being sent is very important. Being commissioned out into the world is very important for us to understand because it's about partnering with God to do what he desires. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the Great Commission. I want to talk to you why it's important for us to be sent into the world. I want to talk about what we learn when we go out into the world. And then I want to ask who is called to go out into the world? Who is called to go out into the world? So let's start with why. Why are we called to be sent into the world? Why does Jesus make it such an important point that the very last thing that he says to his disciples is that they should go, therefore, into the world, into all the nations of the earth to make disciples of him? In fact, it's so important, by the way, that it is the mission statement of the entire United Methodist Church. Did you know that? Our mission statement for every Methodist church around the world is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Why does Jesus make it so important? Well, let's go back to the very beginning of Scripture to find this out. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. God desired to have a relationship with the two people that existed at that time, Adam and Eve, of course. God wanted to have a thriving relationship, a partnership with both of them. But of course, that didn't really go as planned. If you skip ahead in the book of Genesis to chapter 12, that's where we find the selection of Abram and Sarah. You might remember he becomes Abraham, right? The father of all the Jewish people. 
Abram and Sarah were living outside of Israel and they were uniquely selected to be God's people. In Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, we see what happens. Abram is just living out on his own with Sarah and their family and God speaks to him and says, I am gonna send you to a new place and I will bless your family and you will have many generations of children and you will be a blessing to all the nations. So Abram is not told where he's going, what it's gonna be like when he gets there. He's just told to pick up and go. And he does, which says a lot about his faith and his trust in God, doesn't it? But notice, God in the very beginning of Genesis is making sure that, that Abraham and the rest of his generations know that they're blessed not just to be blessed, but they're blessed for a purpose, for a reason, so that all the nations would be blessed through them. That's in the very beginning of the Bible. As you continue to read through the Bible, you'll notice that the people of Israel connect with other nations, and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Remember in the book of Exodus how they are enslaved in Egypt, and yet they still continue to worship God, and God was made known even in that time that they were in Egypt. By the book of Isaiah, one of the major prophets we hear that the people of God are supposed to be led by a great servant, a suffering servant, who is going to bring justice to the nations and is going to be a light to the nations. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. It's part of our culture, but it's also part of Scripture. A light to the nations, bringing hope, bringing justice to people around the world. And of course, Christians often look at that suffering servant and connect it to Jesus, that he's the one that's going to be a light to the world to bring justice to the people. In fact, if you look at Jesus' first sermon in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, you will find that Jesus' first sermon includes messages about bringing hope and help and justice to people. I came to give sight to the blind, healing to the sick, and so forth. And who couldn't forget the most famous passage of Scripture that people hold up on signs at football games and sometimes even paint on their bodies? John 3.16, you know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Not that God loved some people or part of the world, but God loved the whole world. If you continue into 1 Timothy, and I'm going to read this for you this morning, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and following, we get a little bit more insight about this passage from the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is what Paul says to the people under Timothy's care. This is right. And is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So you see, friends, in Scripture we understand the reason why we're sent out into the world. It's because it's very clear from the very beginning that God wants the entire world and everyone in it 
to be invited into a relationship with him. God wants the entire world and everyone in it to know who he is and to know about his love and to know that his son Jesus has grace for all of us, endless grace to heal the wounds, not only of our hearts, but also of our world. If you look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, it starts with Jesus saying, I have all authority. Go, therefore. He says go because he has authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He doesn't say some of the nations. In fact, in this passage, he doesn't say go, don't go there with the message about me. He says go everywhere to all the nations because 1 Timothy says God desires for all to be saved. No nation and no people are left out of the list in the great commandment. Everybody is welcome and invited. Why is the church, why are Christians sent into the world with the great commission? Because we're sent to the world where people are. The church is sent out into the world because that's where the people are, the people that God wants to meet. Think about this church. If you were at our summer institute the first week recently, just a few weeks ago, our founding pastor of Asbury Methodist Church, Reverend Mitchell Williams, was here, and he shared the stories of how Asbury started back in 1986 and 1987. That's on YouTube. If you go to Asbury Beham and look us up, you can go find the Summer Institute 2022. Look up the first session. It's amazing. It's beautiful, the stories that come not only from Mitchell Williams, but from the audience of people, many of whom were founding members here. But Mitchell said the reason that Asbury United Methodist Church was founded out here in North Shelby County is because that's where the people were moving, right? People started moving out here. And the Methodist Church, including our founding pastor, wanted to make sure that there was a thriving, loving, serving Methodist congregation out here. The reason that this church was planted out here in the late 80s was because that's where the people were. We go into the world because that's where people are. We also need to remember that when we go out into the world, we're taking this story, this good news about Jesus, to people that don't have their lives all together. In some form or fashion, every one of us is broken and in need of grace and healing. It's not just about sharing religious information and instruction with them. It's also inviting them into a relationship with a God who loves them and will help them and heal them and make them whole again. This God offers grace and salvation and love and peace and hope and joy, all the things that you hopefully have experienced at some point in your journey of faith. That in some part of your journey, not every part of the Christian life is all happy, is it? Sometimes we have difficult and sad and hurting moments. Being a Christian does not rob us of suffering. But along the way, hopefully, we all feel some sense of wholeness, some sense of hope and peace and joy that comes from grace, that comes from God, putting our hearts and our lives back together in some way. 
We go into the world to help them meet God so that they can encounter that transforming grace, that their lives can be healed in some way. But again, we, we go not just to invite people into that sort of a relationship with God that transforms them and helps them. We're also meant to go into the world to make a difference and to help them in their lives. This summer, we have highlighted several missionaries that we're in partnership with. If you go over to the Faust uh, Christian Life Center, the gymnasium in the middle of our church uh, facility, you'll find the pictures of the missionaries and some of their families and the things that they are doing. They don't just go and share information about God, even though that's part of what they do. They're also meeting the needs and the hurts of people. Think about how many of the missionaries out there are helping with medical issues or helping feed people or give education to people. This is part of our Methodist heritage. Did you know that Caraway Hospital that's right here in Birmingham used to be a Methodist hospital? Why did we build a hospital? Because Methodists care about helping people, not just on the inside, but on the outside. Missionaries are called to help deal with the injustice, or the health issues or the needs of people. So we not only bring the message, but we try to help them and show them and demonstrate for them the real need and the real life that God can give. Pastor Michael preached, as I mentioned, our, our last Sunday on the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Part of being in service to others and sharing the good news of Jesus is sharing love with them. It is helping them and showing them that they matter. Not just that they are ears to receive religious instruction, but they are people that we love and care for. And we demonstrate it for the way we help them. Being sent out into the world is to show them that God cares about the totality of who they are and to bring God's healing, help, and hope to them. So these are some of the reasons why we are sent by Jesus in the Great Commission. So what do we learn along the way? If you've ever served in mission work, you probably know that there's something that you take away from that experience just as much as you give in that experience. I think we can learn from the ways in which we carry out the work of sharing God and sharing the grace of Jesus Christ with other people. Sometimes that means walking a mile in their shoes as we're working in mission with them. Sometimes it means really learning from their culture and their experiences. But a lot of times what, it hap what happens is we learn what works and we learn what doesn't work when we engage in missions and serving other people. Back in 2002, I went with a group of United Methodists down to South Africa. It was August of 2002, and we were going down there for the spring schools to help youth pastors learn about creative worship and creative ministry. And I know a few people are probably thinking, wait a minute, you said August and spring schools. Remember, we're on different hemispheres. We didn't pack with shorts to go down to South Africa. We had to pack with heavier clothes to go down there. I remember feeling a little tricked because I was told by the medical 
group at Duke where I was in school that I needed to take malaria pills with me. And when I got to South Africa in August, it was just coming out of winter. There were no mosquitoes. I didn't need those malaria pills, even though I paid for them. So I left them behind. When I was in South Africa in 2002, it was a big culture shock for me. It was a big culture shock because for me, I knew a little bit about that country and its history, but I didn't know enough to really prepare myself for some of the challenges I would face being a Christian in a foreign land. First of all, I knew a little bit about apartheid. And if you don't know what apartheid is, it was this government-backed way uh, to keep non-white people in South Africa down. It was uh, started in 1948. It ended sort of in the early 1990s. The minority white population of South Africa created laws and economic discrimination and even used terror to sort of keep people in place and separate along the way. In fact, apartheid really means separation. I knew about it. I I understood the history. I I believed I would uh, sort of encounter some of the issues related to that, but I wasn't really prepared. When we landed in South Africa in Johannesburg and we got in the car, this VW van that we traversed throughout the country in, we started going out of the airport and just a few miles away, we saw countless miles of what they call shanty towns, people using scraps to build homes and they lived in extreme poverty. We saw this mile after mile after mile. And then we drove up to the first church in the city of Pretoria. And as we drove up to the church, it was surrounded by barbed wire fencing. And a guard had to let us into the parking lot of the church. I wasn't ready for that, to see the sort of fear and the sort of walling off of the church. Now, thankfully, that church was doing a lot more mission work and was reaching out into the community. But some other churches were actually not serving their neighbor out of fear, out of feeling like they were too different. They were closing their doors to people in their very community. We went to a different church in Port Elizabeth. This was a Methodist church, Port Elizabeth, South Africa. And when we got to the doors, the doors were unlocked. There were no fences We went to one of their youth worship services that night. I believe it was a Sunday night. And at that youth worship service, there were white South African teenagers that were playing worship music much like we have down the hall in our wonderful modern service. Worship, praise songs. And then some of the black African uh, children, teenagers were there and they were worshiping God in some of their own unique ways. But both voices were shared. Nobody was forced to sort of blend together. Everything was sort of seen as worship. And so we saw people loving their neighbor and empowering one another to worship together, even though there were cultural differences. So along the way, we learned quite a bit about this. I learned about people like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and and Methodist Bishop Peter Story, who were working to end apartheid. They were Christians who felt their calling from the great commandment and the great commission to go out into the world to help people, to love people, to love their neighbor. And in the, in the way of trying to minister to people, they ended up 
suffering along the way. In fact, Peter Story, the Methodist bishop, his office was bombed over one weekend when nobody was thankfully there just for his opposition against that to sort of bring help and healing to his community. You know, if we, friends, do not find ways to merge together, to unify together the great commandment with the great commission, we can do some harm to people around the world. We have to take the call to be servants of God, to go out into the world to make a difference, whether that is next door or across an ocean. But we have to do it taking the great commandment with us. Remember Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into the world to make disciples, baptizing them, but also what? Teaching them to obey all of my commandments. And Jesus says, thanks to Pastor Michael sharing with us last week, how do we sum up all the commandments? To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. When we put those two things together, we can hopefully do a good job of not only sharing the good news about Jesus, but also demonstrating the good news about God and his love. Remember Isaiah said that it would be a light to the nations, an example to follow. Not only are we supposed to share the good news, but we're supposed to live it as well. We have to unite the great commandment with the great commission if we're gonna do a good job. You know, at the beginning of my sermon, I asked you a question. I think a few people begrudgingly shared with their neighbor who missionaries might be in their image or their name as you were asking that. So how many people, when I asked you the word missionary, do you have any images or names come to mind? How many people in this room thought, I'm a missionary. Not everybody is called to go overseas. But all of us are called to be missionaries in our own corner of the world. Whether that be with a next door neighbor or somebody who's hurting around the corner. I heard just a week ago from one of our church members when the tornadoes came through a couple of years ago, Eagle Point and others, they were there. They were missionaries of Asbury. They were missionaries of Jesus Christ with chainsaws helping their neighbors. We don't have to go around the world, but some are called to do it. We don't have to go around the world to make a difference in people's lives. We can make a difference right here in our own neighborhood. Remember, Asbury was planted where the people were moving. And we need, and we are called to help people and to share the story of the good news with them and help them connect with a God who wants to transform their lives. Each and every one of us is called to be a missionary in some way. Some of us may be more vocal. Some of us may be more of a witness in our actions and deeds. Either way, we're all called to be missionaries in some form or fashion in our lives. So friends, where is the Great Commission going to send you? 
Where is the Great Commission going to send you? Where is God calling you to go? Who is God calling you to go to? Because everybody, everybody is on the list for the Great Commission. Where is God calling you to go? Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for this gift of grace and love that you have given us. But also, God, help us. Help us to know and to love and to cherish the high calling that you have given all, to all of us. That we are called to go forth in your name to make disciples and to be your people. We pray these things in the strong and loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.